0: This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissick. With Rob Brown and Martin Bissick. Welcome to this week's expert interview, and I'm thrilled with to have with me today an accounting legend. It's Joe Woodard. Joe, good day to you. It's always great to be here, Rob. Are you a legend? Would, are you admitting to that? You've been in this game a long time, Joe.
1: Well, we have a saying here in the U.S. that uh, somebody can be a legend in their own mind. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm a legend there. I don't know. Yes. But I, but I do definitely have. I've established a bit of a reach here, and there are some folks that listen to me about how to run their practices. So I'm honored by that.
0: There is indeed. There's a comedian over here that says. I'm really disappointed with the way legend has been devalued from pulling a sword out of a stone to unexpectedly bringing back potato chips. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so that's, legend, right. that's, that's brilliant. Legend is probably a bit over But yes, you have been in the game a long time. For people that haven't come across you, Joe, just give us a 60-second a buy on a flavor of how you got to here.
1: Yeah, so I am a coach and trainer to accounting firms, uh, largely known here in the United States. And I... Uh, coach firms of all sizes, uh, but I specialize in the CAS department or the bookkeeping department um, of the firms, or some practices are just bookkeeping practices. Um, but we do uh, coach into the whole of how the firms operate, um, even though we specialize in the ex- the, the CAS department.
0: Got it. And what kind of shape do you feel the accounting profession or industry is in right now?
1: Yeah, okay. Yeah, and of course, that's uh, globally, that could be answered different ways. So I'm going to kind of speak from from the position of the United States, and then you can tell me, Rob, what's how that's being echoed in the UK. But um, in the United States right now, uh, the state of the profession is strong in the sense that we are embracing technology. We are, uh, through COVID, our, our adoption of the cloud has been accelerated, um, but we are being disrupted, and the disruptions that we are facing are severe. Um, and they're coming from multiple fronts. One of the biggest waves of disruption right now is our staffing crisis. You can tell me if you're experiencing something similar. Um, this was this was accelerated by COVID, but not created by COVID. Um, in, in the United States, we have a population bubble called the boomers, and the boomers have moved their way through the generations, and every single time they hit a generation, they change things. They change everything from the economics to the culture. Well, this is happening now as the boomers are retiring. So we have a massive retire off facing the profession, coupled with the fact that the college students who are graduating are largely not choosing accountancy. They see it as boring and irrelevant and and, and drudgery work. And so we have a brand problem because true accountancy is not, it it has those elements, it can be very routine and and it does have a historical component. But the more that we can become interpretive and analytical the more we can become uh, transformative. And I think we'll start to get that younger generation back. So we have a, a massive staffing crisis coupled with scaled competitors that are global, right? Uh, KPMG is getting into the small bookkeeping space. Um, QuickBooks is a bookkeeping company now. Uh, we've got h and Block, a major tax gig economy uh, worker here in the United States that, that scaled tax preparation. And it's been competing against tax uh, preparers here for years. It's now embraced bookkeeping with 7,000 bookkeepers. They're deploying in brick and mortar locations. And then uh, most recently, a Bezos-funded organization, Pilot, uh, which I'm sure you're familiar, um, is going to try to, to scale and change the face of bookkeeping. So when you get those kinds of things, you get massive commoditization and then uh, a third leg of it is the technology piece where we are leveraging those technologies now that's great if uh, hopefully everybody listening to this podcast is leveraging those technologies but just ask the the travel agencies how this wave works you embrace the technologies until finally the technologies become commercialized and they become commo- uh, commodities and then utilities and then all of a sudden uh, everybody's just using them from their desk so at what point the technologies we're leveraging now will become those that are used for to, to fully automate record keeping processes and tax processes with just a little push over the edge, don't know. As artificial intelligence increases, the risk becomes more and more severe. So you have technology, you have staffing, and you have scaled competitors that are all converging on the rank and file bookkeeping firms right now and tax practices.
0: Accountants generally don't cope well with change. The profession's been ever thus. Double entry bookkeeping has been ever thus for many, many years. So. What do you see? And and by the way, that's happening in the UK and other parts of the world as well when we talk to people. So no surprises there. What do you see as the accountants, the bookkeepers attitude to change and disruption, Joe? How are they coping as a brief?
1: Surprisingly, that's beginning to shift or not surprisingly. Surprisingly, it took so long for it to shift. But, um, you know, no, accountants don't like change. But increasingly, I'm seeing that accountants are um, identifying the same problems. Just like you said, there's no surprise there. If I went to an accounting show and said, these are your three major disruptive impacts, it would be, I'd get nods, they all know. And and nothing focuses the mind quite as much as a threat from behind. So if they can, if they can just now have a, a pathway, I think the motivation is there. I think the desire is there. I think the embrace of the change is there. And I think it's all about coaching and guiding at this point.
0: So if I were to ask you what separates the good accounting firms from the great, you would likely say their ability to deal with disruption and build a thriving practice amidst all these drivers. Would it be something like that?
1: Yes, D- disruption proofing your practice, absolutely. But underneath the umbrella of disruption proofing is sort of the question how, right? And 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 so a thriving practice, what separates the practice that's disruption proof from the one that's not is a full embrace of the cloud in the way you operate as a practice. It, there's a prevailing mythology out there, Rob, I'm sure you've seen it too, that I go, my firm adopts zero, or my firm adopts QuickBooks Online, and therefore my firm is cloud. No, because cloud is about the holistic way that your firm operates, everything from the way it manages documents, to the way it collaborates with clients, to the way it manages its systems and hardware. Um, in other words, all the way down to the point where even the computer sitting under or on someone's desk, is a cloud managed computer from an outsider inside IT consultant. So that the the standard is, if you can take a professional in your practice and you can place them anywhere in the world and they will be just as effective as if they were sitting at their primary desk location, then I would say you've probably met the cloud standard. (laughs) When I mean just as effective, I don't mean because they prepared in advance to take just what they needed on a flash drive or just what they needed in a suitcase Because it's paper or it's imprisoned into a local drive. I'm saying that without doing anything other than grabbing that laptop and going, they are just as effective on the road as they are at their desk. When that standard is met, then you are prepared in the cloud component to be disruption proof. But there's another one that's just the work environment that's modernized. Now you have to be automated. We're finding that firms that are disruption proof can automate up to 80% of the manual processes of tax and bookkeeping. And when you do that, Now you can start competing, not by driving your price down, but by insulating your gross profit margins in an extremely increasingly price-sensitive world. But then you couple that with a price commoditization neutralizer that's effectiveness. If you will take what you've automated, you will take the increased gross profit margins you're getting from that to stabilize your profit. Invest that profit back into developing advisory. Now you can drive prices up from where you are You can go run counter to commoditization while your bread and butter staple bookkeeping and tax uh, are operating at a higher profit margin than your competitors.
0: Mm. We'll get you back on another episode to talk about data in the cloud. Joe, I know you're very passionate about that and have a lot of uh, content about that. But for now, what have some accounting firms bookkeepers got wrong over the last couple of years?
1: Um, I I believe we got wrong the fact that if you just embrace a cloud GL, I'm cloud. So that's number one. But number two, I believe that we have missed the mark on this word advisory, and we've missed it from several different angles, all the way down to its core definition. If you ask feet on the street, um, what what is advisory? Depending on who you're asking, you're going to get several different definitions, even more flavors of definitions.
0: And if you ask 10 CPAs, you'll get 12 different answers as well. Do you, what do you well, want? Well,
1: yeah, exactly. I like that. 10 CPAs, 12 answers, because because it's nebulous. Um so we have a joke here that the advisory we call it the A word um because it's not it's it's not that it's a bad it's a bad direction for for practices to go it's a bad word because we've not taken care of the word we haven't nurtured the word we haven't clearly defined the word and even worse rob um and I, and this is the indictment on thought leadership and the coaches and the trainers out there of which I'm a part we haven't we've told all these accounting firms for the last decade or more, what they need to do and why they need to do it and when they need to do it, which is yesterday. <laughs> but very few of us are telling these accounting firms how to do it, right? So we're part of the problem. Now, by the way, I, I actually built a school of advisory because I got tired of being disingenuous there. So I've got a 300 <laughs> hour school of advisory. Um, but, but, but we don't even call it advisory because it's such a little word. We call it a school of business coaching because as soon as we put the A word on it, then it means 12 different things, like you said,
0: to 10 different people. Well, even trusted advisor, Joe, you go to that phrase. Accountants don't know exactly what that is and what they have to do to be a trusted advisor, but everyone's telling them to step up and own that space.
1: Exactly, but see, that's even a worse term because (laughs) because I like like it even less because when you throw the word trusted in front of it, I tell you, every accountant hears Differently than what you mean. Okay. What they hear is trustworthy accountant. And because I am a trusted or trustworthy accountant, therefore I, and I advise my clients. I am a trusted advisor. Well, that just means that I'm not going to share their information around or that I'm going to be diligent and competent in the advice that I provide. And since
0: yeah, I, I'm ethical, I'm compliant. I'm
1: going to check the box. I'm going to go to that conference. I'm going to go, Rob tells me I should be a trusted advisor. I'm trusted. I'm an advisor. <laughs> check. Right. And 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 it and so what I I just got back from the the BDO alliance in Las Vegas. And those are some of the the, the most cutting-edge firms in the the sort of regional firm space. These are not small operations. They have 30, sometimes even over a hundred professionals in these firms, but they're not T100 firms for the most part, top 100 size firms. So they, they sit in this spot where they they're they have tremendous amount of resources. They have the same challenges as the top 100, but they're slightly more nimble and they're still uh, to a large degree founder led, many of them. So I'm speaking with the leadership, that's who comes to the BDO Alliance about these very problems. And what some of these firms are doing, Rob, with advisory is inspirational. They they're they're and transformational, which I think is really the key. If you say that you're a trusted advisor and the impact of your advisory services is not to some degree transformative, if it doesn't result in positive change for the client, then I would argue you're telling the client the wrong advice or you have the wrong client. Those are really only options, right? And these firms are having a transformative impact. It's it's encouraging.
0: Transformative is such a great word, but it scares a lot of accountants who are dealing with risk and trying to be conservative and keep an eye on the numbers. But I get that there's ways accountants and bookkeepers have fallen short, but in other ways, they're stepping up. Is there an area of accounting you think hasn't evolved as quickly as it should have done, hasn't jumped on the wagon, they haven't got it yet? Or would that be advisory again?
1: Yeah, that's the answer to this question. This is the one area. But I would also say that firms Uh, Coupling with that, one of the reasons that firms uh, who have tried to to embrace advisory but maybe haven't had that transformative impact um, is because they're not specializing like they need to specialize. Um, And and with bookkeeping and with tax and with attestation, we've gotten used to being able to take on any industry that comes our way because we're always dealing with the commonalities of business with a few nuances in reporting. And we can adapt to that. But when you start getting into business coaching you have to understand how that business operates better than the person who owns that business, which I don't know how it is in the UK, but in my country, that's not a very big leap. The, the business owners do not get into business because they're masters at how to run a business. They get into business because they're really masters at their trade. You know, Take a dentist. A dentist doesn't know how to run a dental company. They just know how to work on teeth. <laughs> so it's the e-myth stuff, right? And so Since we have the e-myth thing, you can leap over the skill set on how a dentist needs to run their business or a veterinarian or an acupuncturist or a construction company very quickly, and then you can start to guide and protect their journey. But it's only when you've narrowed the pool of companies that you serve. Now, if you're a much larger firm, you can have specialists in your firm, multiple people, where each person specializes on an industry that's great. In the smaller firms, you don't have that luxury. You're gonna have to pick an industry, you're going to have to learn it. You're going to have to be able to master its operations and then create a formula that you can take from client to client to client, which will also further your brand. That's the other thing I would say is we failed at establishing brand as an industry. Um, individual brands, as well as the brand of the overall profession, all
0: has to be nurtured better than what we're doing. I'm sensing an impasse actually too, Joe, with are we asking entrepreneurial business owners in coaching them and offering them business coaching services to think more like accountants and understand the numbers and get behind the data. Are we asking accountants to be more like entrepreneurs and business owners in their thinking so they can better advise and understand the mind of the business? It's
1: got to be the latter, Rob, because you'll never I don't think typically you're not going to get the typical business owner to think like an accountant. We've got to bring the accountancy. We've got to translate the principles of accountancy to them. Right. And that's why it's critical that we play that role. I believe most small business owners are operating from a severe visibility crisis. I would say some of some of them are even driving blind. And I think this doesn't take your listeners by surprise. They they know their cash position by their bank balance. They know their net income 12 times a year, two weeks after the fact, because it's the only thing they look at in the financial reports that we send them. And they don't understand or look at any of the other. And this is a, another big mistake we make with advisor. We look at the entire chess board and we're able to see 12 months ahead because we're masters at chess, chess here being accountancy. But then we make the mistake of thinking, well, let's turn these folks into accomplished chess players. No, they're playing their own game, trying to get a house built, trying to get a car fixed. That's their chess. We need to play the game of chess on their behalf. We need to take about 10 data points, 5 to 10, sit down with them once a month. And it's not even the same 10 necessarily. It depends on on what's going on in that month. But we cherry pick the 5 to 10. We sit down with them once a month and we tell them not what the numbers mean, unless that's a means to an end. But What's the implication of the numbers for what they should do? Actionable management advice. Because this change from here to here, you need to do this. Five, maybe at most 10, um, and it will radically impact the way that they're driving their business, and it will create much-needed visibility. And can I come all the way back around to the disruption pieces? That's the very thing that the software is not giving them. Therefore, it insulates you from technology disruption. It is what the scaled competitors are not doing. Therefore, it insulates you from the scaled competitor disruption. And when it comes to the staffing, that kind of knowledge work allows you to generate revenue disproportionately to effort, neutralizing some of that impact as well. We can kill all the birds with a single stone if we will just sit down with the client and do the five to 10 key metrics.
0: And I like that not overwhelming them. We're, there's so much data now going on in, in the accounting firm, the businesses they serve. Joe, I wanna ask you, you've got a foot squarely in the bookkeeper space. And you're very qualified to answer the question. Now, we've seen a blaring of the lines between bookkeepers and accountants and CPAs. I even heard of a story recently where a business had hired a zero certified practitioner that wasn't qualified in accounting at all. They had no professional qualifications, but they had certification in the software. So bookkeepers, accountants, tell us a little bit about those lines.
1: Well, they're blurring. They're blurring within the CPA firms here as well. Part of that's driven by the staffing crisis. People are hiring whoever they can get their hands on, right? But it's a good—that's a good outcome because the professional designations are important. People who have earned their Certified Public Accountant, as we call her in the U.S., or the Chartered Accountant—they've
0: sweated blood for those, haven't they? Yeah. And
1: also the enrolled agents. We, that's a designation that's unique to the United States, but it's um. it's it's a designation granted by our Internal Revenue Service for tax preparation and representation. These are hard fault designations in the profession and we should honor them. However, there are people who know how to do the work without the credentials and they can do that under the, um, the guidance, the leadership of the people in the firm that have the credentials. I don't see why those people aren't just as qualified for the roles. Obviously they can't sign returns, or maybe they can't sign the attestation reports, but they can definitely do the work as proficiently as those who have those kinds of designations. So, um, you know, in the legal industry, there's this whole para community, right? Um, In the medical industry, there's this whole nursing community. Comparisons break down a little bit there because the nurses have to be licensed and credentialed. But my point is, if we operate a little more like a hospital where we have various degrees of nurses before you get to doctors, then various degrees of doctors, We'll be a lot um, more capable and holistic in the way that we service our patients, and I'm using my air quotes here, where we've thought of it very lin- in a very linear way, that the doctor does all the work, all the work of the nurses and all the work of the surgeons and everything in between. And I don't mean to say in any way to disparage the, the, the bookkeepers or the non-credential tax preparers. I'm not talking about a caste system. I'm talking about a degree of skill set system because, and, and a degree of licensing. There's, a, in the nurse practitioner space, those nurses that have the, a similar authority to the doctor, I have found that, that I would rather be serviced in almost every case other than surgery by a nurse practitioner than by a doctor. These are extremely brilliant people. They just have never gotten the MD after them. They've age. also got a
0: better bedside manner. They can often communicate a lot better, can't they? So, yeah, and and also
1: their writing skills are a little better too. the uh, The point is, oh, we need we need to be looking at the profession more like a like a hospital than like a. Um, like an MD doing all the work.
0: That's a great analogy. And I was, we did an interview with Louise Wilson of Moneypenny, who were, were at the BDO Alliance. She may have met them there. And uh, they do frontline uh, first experience calls and live chat for accounting firms. And she said, we don't need qualified accountants to take inbound calls. We need somebody with a good bedside manner, a lot of empathy to get to the heart of the problem and, and triage that if you like like a nurse would do and then direct them to the right person so who needs a qualified Cpa for that
1: right exactly and that's where the that's when the doctor is needed you call the staff so if we can do this rob it means that the cpas it's sort of the totem pole or the caste system that's that's been prevalent within the professions that gets torn down in a and maybe some nurses would tell you that that the doctor still there's still a caste system in hospitals, and that's where the, met- the metaphor breaks down. But the really good hospitals, I would suspect, are the ones where the MDs fully respect the skill sets of the nurses, and they work in concert, they work in synergy, right? And if we could do the same thing with the with the accounting firms, then this blend of the credentialed and non-credentialed creates a powerhouse of skills.
0: So let's bring this plane home to quote a phrase, Joe. We started talking about the disruptive the disruption proof practice and you gave us three great metrics if you like for what are the driving forces brand and the boomer black hole and the the unattractive profession for the young ones coming in you mentioned skilled players really important and then the tech that's going on there so let's just wrap that up and Turn that into practical advice for the accountants, the CPAs, and the leaders listening. What do they need to do to build a disruption-free practice?
1: First, we talked about the advisory layer and the modernization layer. But at the end of the day, it's got to be effective. It's got to be the, the entire measurement of success has to go from how accurately did I record the past to how effectively I am interpreting the present with an implication for the future if we can do that we will change not just the impact we have on our clients we will change the brand of accountancy for the next generation coming in and for the whole of our business and personal clients more analysis more interpretation but i've got one more for you rob and that is culture the perception of accountancy maybe even the reality is that we are, you know, stodgy, stiff-collared, emotionless, you know, just just anything that would say, as a matter of fact, we're the brunt of all the jokes for that very reason. And it's not just that we, I'm not just saying that we have to, you know, put the foosball tables or the ping pong tables. That's a little bit arbitrary. What I'm saying is build a culture that transcends the genre. And that's done, yes, with a little fun. Yes, you want to have the company retreat. Yes, you want to add a little jocularity to your life. You want to hire people that add a little energy to the firm. It can represent the firm with that kind of energy, but but it's deeper than that. I would encourage your listeners to read a book called The Advantage by Patrick Lincioni. In that book, he details out how to establish culture through a declaration of company values, not from a PR or thin or surface application, but internally, how to use those values to nurture the kind of human-to-human interactions within the company human-to-human interactions between your company and your clients. It's game-changing.
0: So ultimately, you're saying you get the culture right. You get the advisory piece right. You'll start attracting more people into the profession. You'll maybe hold on to people a little longer. You'll create competitive advantage against skilled players. You'll buy an asset digitally transform because you've got to be in the cloud to deliver effective advisory. That's it, isn't it, Joe, in a nutshell?
1: That's it in a nutshell.
0: It's so simple. Why isn't everyone doing
1: it? <laughs> well, it's simple, but it's difficult. And I'm so glad you mentioned that word simple. It's simple to climb Mount Everest. Doesn't make it easy. You just keep going up. <laughs> so, but yes, it's an extremely difficult climb. And I'll tell you the, the the that thought leadership and the people that have the coaching and education companies like I have got to do more to create practical pathways uh, to, to to not just tell people how, but to coach them through the process of change. And um, if we'll start doing more of that, Rob, then the firms will follow.
0: Well, I'm going to ask you just finally in a moment, Joe, to uh, share with us what you feel are the two or three top skills and attributes that accountants, bookkeepers are going to need to succeed in the coming years. But before I do that, there's some great stuff you do for bookkeepers and accountants. We'll put your contact details in the show notes, but what kind of things do you help them with? Well, we
1: do have that 300-hour uh, business coaching school. Um, and it covers six different, different disciplines of coaching. You don't have to do all six. If you just do one, you can get through it in about six months, uh, three, three to six months, but, um, but if you want to do all the disciplines, uh, it's a three-year run. You start coaching as you're going. It's not like three years. Then you start. Okay. Um, we also have a practice, uh, advancement program that is, uh, similar in scope and nature over a period of three years. You go through this and you make the changes as you go through them. These are coached programs. They're not educational programs. So you have a mentor, or if you choose it, even a one-on-one practice coach to guide you through the journey. Uh, Here in the United States, we have uh, one of the premier and largest accounting technology shows that we host called Scaling New Heights. Um, And it is the only show in the United States that draws uh, almost every single general ledger player under a single roof. Global general ledger players, Zero, Counting Suite, Acumatica, Microsoft Business Central, um, and, and, and more, Sage Intact are all under a single roof. And then we have, I guess, my favorite thing to talk about. If people can check it out for free at water.com, we produce a reality TV show that is cable television quality called Tech Makeover. It's filmed in the reality TV format, but it's in a video case study. And it documents the transformation of a small business technologically by a small business advisor. Uh, it's got a production value of $125,000 per hour. So it's serious. And the list, everybody listening to this can go
0: watch it for free. Oh, that's terrific. And uh, just to finish, then, top skills and attributes accountants, CPAs, bookkeepers are going to need over the next few years to compete and serve their clients optimally. What would you
1: yes, say? Yes, they're going to need to become coaches. Coaches is their primary profession. Record keeping and compliance is a means to an end, as the fuel for that fire. Um, and if they will do that, Rob, then they will not only survive in the coming years, their their practices will thrive in the coming years.
0: So what if that's been world class? Thanks so much for your time and your passion today.
1: It is always great to be here, Rob.